Hello and welcome to Is This Anime? I'm your anime expert, Jack Metcalf. And I'm the guy who doesn't know anything about anime, Malcolm Cloud. So for those just showing in, each week I select an anime series or film for Malcolm to watch. A number of episodes that best showcase that series strength, although this is a movie, so we only had to watch uh, one thing. And uh, last week's anime was Lupin the Third, Part 4. Malcolm, how was it? Uh, it was super funny. I really enjoyed it. It was just like a really quirky, funny, like, heist comedy. It's like a throwback to those, like, Italian job Michael Caine films. And I got to appreciate that. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. I'm glad you guys all uh, enjoyed it. Because, again, every time I, I pick something, I'm just never quite sure. Even if I do find it conventional. Like, I told Malcolm, like, yeah, Lupin, it's what I would call a starter anime. It's pretty accessible. But you never know. I watched, like, a full month of just Lupin content. There is a lot. If uh, you haven't listened to that episode, please do. Because we had a lot of fun recording it. There is so much Lupin. And I, I became a Lupin super fan. Now I'm going to stop watching it because I have other shows to watch for this podcast. My Lupin fandom, I've, I've been having Lupin Things pop up on YouTube. It's part of my algorithm. And now that fandom is going to take a pause, which is very sad for me. Do you have like Lupin dreams? Do you like dream and heists? I, I have not. I'm shocked. I'm shocked I haven't had a Lupin dream. Um, I had a dream about the game Yakuza 7, Like a Dragon, uh, because I really want to play that. But my video game backlog is too large, unfortunately. But by the time this podcast airs, I'll, I'll have played it. So that's a really nice feeling. Got to plan for the future. <laughs> Planning for the future. And uh, we have a guest, uh, Sinead. I just realized I, I didn't ask your last name. So oh. y- you may or, oh. or may not. It's it's your choice. I named, My first name is Sinead and my last name is Grucock. So be it what well, you real, will. <laughs> real, real professional operation here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> real, yeah real professional. Yeah. Sinead's a very talented uh, improviser, comedian, filmmaker, writer, actor. Activist. I don't know. I don't know what else I should add. And so we're very happy to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks, man. I love the list. Honestly, I should get you involved for my resumes. Anyways, uh, Jack, you want to introduce what, uh, the film we're doing? I mean, it's yeah, really sorry, obvious I, by the I, title I, of the episode. Yeah, uh, <laughs> no worries. Uh, we're talking about one of the most successful anime films of all time, uh, Your Name. This 2016 film was directed by Makoto Shinkai who's been referred to as the new Miyazaki. Sinead, Malcolm, are you familiar at all with the film Your Name before watching this? No, not at all. Just from doing this podcast, like it was something that people have suggested to me. They're like, you got to cover Your Name. You got to watch Your Name. But like, I don't do any research about what we're about to watch. So I didn't like know too much about it. All I knew was that people who recommended it really loved it. And I can see why from after watching this. Like it is an excellent film. Yeah, I was just going to say, I assumed that it was going to be like a popular movie, like something that was really well liked. So I specifically was like, okay, like, I guess I'm going to be in for a ride since I don't know anything about this. And yeah, I'm not surprised now after watching it and like looking at the reviews and research for it. It's very popular. Sinead, have you watched any anime before? Do you have any anime experience or, or was this your first one? Okay, well, I would never, I would never be so bold to say in anyone in an everyday conversation that like I have anime experience but when I was really little I did watch like anime shows that would come on tv and and I would enjoy them but I was never really like following them is that show card captors anime it is definitely anime Yeah, I was really into that. I was really into that. But I was so young that like, I don't even see I don't even remember if it was anime. I was that's embarrassing. Don't worry. I I don't even know what you're talking about. (laughs) 
Malcolm, Malcolm, <laughs> once again, getting the look of shame from me. As we've talked about this podcast, anime itself literally just means cartoons. So Bugs Bunny is anime. The Simpsons is anime. It's all anime. It's just a, a word we, we used primarily to refer to Japanese animation for whatever reason. I mean, obviously, anyone who's listened to this podcast knows we, we've covered a lot of different types. Pokemon is anime. Um, Malcolm was not aware that Pokemon mm-hmm. was anime, and I laughed at him. There's many, many things that fall under that, that definition. But yeah, this one, this one, your name is a, a big deal. And it's funny because Malcolm was, Malcolm kept telling me, oh, we should cover your name. And for whatever reason, I was like, I mean, I'd seen the movie before, but I'm like, oh, I don't know. I, I kept pushing it back. I'm like, oh, no, I was wrong. This movie's awesome. <laughs> so let's get into uh, the director. So Makoto Shinkai, he was born in 1973. He studied Japanese literature in university. He was a member of the literature, literature club and also drew picture books. And after graduating, he got a job at the game company Falcom. For the extra nerdy people, Falcom, they make really good role-playing games. During quarantine, I played through the entire uh, Trails of series, and uh, it's nine <laughs> games deep. They average 40 hours. They're filled with text, and all all the worst stereotypes you think about anime are present in those games, and I absolutely fucking love them. It's like, <laughs> what if George R. R. Martin made an anime series and he made them games? And it's nine interconnected games and like minor NPCs reoccur within like other entries and there's multiple arcs and the arcs always end with the power of friendship conquering everything, but you're still surprised and then you cry. Uh, Yeah, play the Trails of series, folks. Uh, There's also a really bad anime adaptation of one of the games. Uh, We're not going to cover that anytime soon. Malcolm knows this. Anytime I have the chance to talk about video games on this podcast, I, I will gladly do so. That's true. And even though, like, I don't even, I've never even heard of these games before. Like, I, like, I've just not heard of it. And I play, like, some video games, so I'm not, like, a big gamer either. But you're not, you're definitely not playing, like, the super Japanese stuff that I do. And, and like I've said oh, on the show. absolutely. I'm not, definitely not playing the super <laughs> Japanese stuff. You seriously need to play Final Fantasy VII Remake, bro. It's fucking awesome. Uh, but sadly, there's no Final Fantasy VII Remake anime. So let's move on. <laughs> So he worked for Falcom. Uh, he worked there for five years making uh, anime video clips and graphic design content for the websites. And in 1999, he released a five-minute black and white short called She and Her Cat about the relationship between a male cat and his female owner, told from the cat's perspective. And uh, I was tempted to, to be last minute be like, oh, you guys should watch this short because it is really, really good. It's, it's a really adorable, cute black and white short. And he sold this short on a CDR, not even a CD-ROM, a CDR. And it would end up selling 5,000 copies and won the 2000 Doga CG Animation Contest. And the success of the short got him a job at Comics Wave Films. And Makoto's next project would be this 2002 25-minute original video animation called Voices of a Distant Star. And it follows the lives of two close childhood friends, a boy and a girl, who get separated once the, once the girl is sent into space to fight in a war against aliens. Don't you love how that starts off normal? You're like, oh, boy and a girl, you know, star-crossed lovers, and she's got to fight in a war against aliens. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's kind of like a, this, yeah, I was almost <laughs> expecting a Romeo and Juliet kind of thing, except that they're like, hey, we're just going to, like, put you guys into a space war. <laughs> we'll make it yeah. a game. Exactly. And as the 15-year-old girl goes deeper and deeper into space, the text she sends take longer to reach the Earth, and the film simultaneously follows her battles and the boy's life as he receives her texts over the years. And this film would establish a core recurring theme among Shinkai's work, which is the unavoidable barriers between individuals, whether it's metaphorical or literal. You definitely notice this theme in uh, the movie we're covering, of course. So he's kind of, as we'll talk about, because I still got a bit of the history segment left, it's definitely a recurring theme among his works, and he's done numerous films kind of about this. 
but as we'll get into, I think your name definitely articulated that theme in the most, I don't know if the word mainstream is the best word, but you know, I mean, it, it, it tackled it in a very accessible way. So is this his most popular film? Like, is this like the one that like, oh, we'll get into put, that. Him, put him onto the map? <laughs> we'll get into that. Voices of a Distant Star it received multiple awards and its success led to Shinkai gain his debut at making a feature, which would be the 2004 film, The Place Promised in Our Early Days, which is an alternate history film set in Soviet Union occupied Japan. It too is about star-crossed lovers separated by fantastical circumstances. I've seen that film before, and then I like read the premise again. I'm like, oh, I really want to watch this again because <laughs> alternate history Soviet Union occupied Japan just sounds awesome. I don't know about you, Malcolm. <laughs> That's how. Like, I mean, for me, I'm like, I wouldn't have even thought about like, oh, the Soviet <laughs> Union is the one that occupies Japan. Like, that's like. It seems so far out. Usually it's like, well, the Nazis have shown up or whatnot. Like that's always like, maybe that's like North American old history. Like the man in the high castle has, and mm-hmm. has sort of done that. I don't know. I don't, I'm, not even, I'm not even convinced there's any good like all history stuff out there. But I mean, I, I don't know. That's it because you good. haven't seen this. That's true. <laughs> uh, alt history, star-crossed lovers. And there's also other stuff that I... I could not even articulate. I was like looking at the premise, like the synopsis of the film. I'm like, oh, this goes places. Uh, he certainly knows a way to, to make star-crossed lovers a, a creative concept. Makoto, having worked his butt off since leaving university, took a year off before working on his next film, Children Who Chase Lost Voices, which came out in 2011. And it's actually considered his weakest film, but nonetheless, its reviews were still pretty positive, just not on the level of his other works. I mean, I guess, yeah, if he's been slowly getting those comparisons... And he kind of seems like a natural successor in some ways, even though he's like, they're very different. <laughs> like, I, it's weird. It's kind of been like, it would be like comparing Tarantino to Scorsese in the 90s and being like, yeah, I, I guess in some ways, but like Scorsese is not a writer director the way that like Tarantino is. And they're t- completely different filmmakers who just happen to have like cult of personalities attached to them. I think comparisons are fine, but definitely Makoto's works are certainly his own. I think, yeah, Children Who Chase Lost Voices, you'll definitely see the Miyazaki influence. But otherwise, like, I think sometimes comparisons like that can be kind of lazy. It's like, no, this writer, director or or individual has a very distinct style. And like, I get you're comparing two good things, but you're only comparing them just because they're both good. I think that makes sense. I think that happens a lot, especially in film. Like where you would look at two successful things and be like, ah, there must be a common denominator between the two. Whereas maybe it's more interesting to look at like what is different because I think you got you get more out of that. So The Garden of Words, this movie came out in 2013. It's about a 15 year old who falls for a 27 year old woman. And like Shinkai's earlier works, it's quite short, being only 46 minutes long. Uh, but it received high praise and was considered a return to form for Shinkai and managed to rank seventh on the iTunes store in the Western market for digital purchases, which is just kind of neat. Yeah, we come to your name. This The inspiration for this film, it came to Shinkai when he visited Miyagi Prefecture after the Great East Japan earthquake occurred. And the influence on the film, according to him, include the gender-bending comedy Ranma One Half and Christopher Nolan's Interstellar. And it came out in 2016, and this movie was a smash hit. It grossed... 380 million worldwide, just 15 million shy of Spirited Away, which at the time was the highest grossing anime film ever made until just a couple months ago, Demon Slayer took over. It did pretty darn well. Demon Slayer at at the moment of this recording is at like something like 409 million and it has yet to even be released in the US. Thanks, you know, the whole the whole virus thing. So despite the success, Shinkai himself thought that your name was a bit of a disappointment. He's quoted as saying, There are things we could not do, 
Masashi Ando, the director of animation, wanted to keep working but had to stop us for lack of money. For me, it's incomplete, unbalanced. The plot is fine, but the film is not at all perfect. Two years was not enough. That's so interesting because, like, there are moments in this film where you kind of go, like, oh, like, that doesn't quite make sense. And there's, like, a couple of, like, inconsistencies. But at the same time, I was so engrossed with the final product that, like, it's, you're like, oh, like, wait, like, you wanted more time on this? Like, it was so excellent, too. And, like, I kind of liked its imperfections. Like, that's, like, I think, I don't know if, like, if this is, like, more clean if this is like has the same emotion that I felt to it. Like there were just things that were in this film and that we can get into a little later that I was just like, Oh, I just, I liked that that was included. Like it was added some more personality to it. Yeah. And you know who else agreed with, uh, with Shinkai, the Academy of motion picture arts and sciences, because they failed to even nominate the movie for best animated picture. Uh, these were the 2017 Oscar nominees. It was Kubo and the two strings, Moana, my Life as a Zucchini, The Red Turtle, and <laughs> Zootopia. Um, and I, I have not seen three of these movies. I have not seen Kubo, and I have not heard of My Life as a Zucchini or The Red Turtle. I know. It's one of those weird things where I'm like, wait, what the fuck is My Life as a Zucchini? Like, what is that film? Is it a VeggieTales spinoff? Like, like, yeah, that's I, what I was thinking. I was like, it's a VeggieTales spinoff, something Christian, something PG. Yeah. So they got they got uh, lobbying money from the Osteen family, <laughs> and then the Academy was like, "I guess we'll take your fucking blood money." And then they then they got a nomination. Whereas your name like deserved a nomination. Like I'm actually kind of floored. Now I also don't know how good Red Turtle is. I I don't know how good like uh, Kubo and the Two Strings is, and like these these might be really, really incredible films. Oh, but- so I just I just looked this up because. The Red Turtle I had no reference for. Uh, this was actually, Studio Ghibli worked on it at least. Uh, was it language Japanese, but the director is Michael DeWitt? Michael DeWitt? Michael DeWitt. Uh, oh, it's it's French. It is Dutch animator, Dutch animator Michael DeWitt. Uh, co-production between Studio Ghibli and Wild Bunch. Uh, film has no dialogue. You know what? That sounds kind of interesting, but I think we could have at least <laughs> taken taken another film off of there. I think here's uh, the thing: you can you can take my life as a zucchini, and we'll and we'll put that in the compost, right? That's where it belongs. <laughs> it belongs in the compost, and then we slide your name in there. Uh, and even though it'll lose to Zootopia because uh, that's just Disney. how Disney rolls, as we found out in the Wind Rises episode, that you know Frozen won undeservedly, as I pointed out many times before. <laughs> You know, it's even in but, our trailer. Yeah, it's in that in our old trailer. So, <laughs> but I mean, I get it as well. Like, it feels like this. This kind of came out of nowhere. It's like one of those things where, so you look at the Oscars like ten years from like from when like they happen, and you kind of go like, okay, which films won, and then which films do you remember from that like time period? Like, we're about ten years out from when like the King's Speech won. I, I still really... hate, I still am burned by that one. Social Network should have won. I'm still mad about that. I'll be mad until the day I die. Yeah, Social Network <laughs> should have won. Uh, Tom Hooper won the Best Director. <laughs> and you realize he's the only director I can think of who's won Best Director, who then at some point made an abomination of a film, which is called Cats, uh, which is fun. It's a fun, <laughs> bad movie. But this is a guy who won a Best Director oscar and then he went down to that level i mean let's face it even if you like his speech that shouldn't have won best director what's the direction it's it's a it's it's an english period piece and the social network like 
Anyways, this is not the social network podcast. Please yeah. listen if you want to hear me talk about the excellence <laughs> of the social network. Or even Drive didn't get nominated, and people, I still love Drive. It doesn't yeah. matter. What we can, what it is, is that like the Golden Globes, the Oscars is a farce. <laughs> I, I think Oscars has more credibility. I mean, we're 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 probably about to hear the nominations because this is recorded in like March. But but yeah, I think especially when it comes to animation, we can definitely have a conversation about how the Oscars. Let's face it, most voters just don't give a shit. Uh, about the animation category. Uh, I think it's something where it's like, oh, my kid liked this movie and they vote for it and move on. I get that. I mean, that's what most, nom- like most of the categories, except um, so, for maybe like be- you know, best film and then the best actors and best director. Maybe best so, director. So here's partly what happened. Uh, Your Name's limited release definitely didn't help its Oscar chances. As, like we said, the Academy's general inability to care about non-Ghibli anime films uh, as Malcolm and I have discussed, there's numerous Japanese animated films that should have been nominated or even won in this category. And God forbid an animated film win or be nominated for the best foreign language Oscar. That's the other thing, too. Like, they've nominated Pixar movies for best picture. Why not, you know, nominate animated films for best foreign language Oscar? Or did they change the name of foreign language? Is it foreign film? I, I don't recall. It's but hard I, to say. They, they've been mixing it up. Yeah, like, they keep I changing like, it. I mean, I, I think there was some uproar because Parasite won best foreign film and best picture and they deservedly so i mean it was the best film of that year yeah but Um, it's just it's dumb it's it's stupid i mean they went up to 10 nominees for no apparent reason i i'm certainly a proponent and anyone could probably tell i'm a proponent for animation being nominated i don't think animation should should be sent to the ghetto of best animated film category i think there's plenty of animated films that that are equally as good if not better than many live action films but regardless, uh, that did not stop Hollywood from noticing the money that Your Name made. And in 2017, J.J. Abrams and screenwriter Eric Heiserer announced that they were working on a live-action adaptation of the film. And in 2019, Mark Webb, director of 500 Days of Summer, and the bad Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies signed on to direct. And it was announced that the film would be about a Native American girl living in a rural area who would be swapping bodies with a boy from Chicago. But in September 2020, The Hollywood Reporter reported that Lee Isaac Chung would be taking over writing and directing, working off a draft written by Big Sick co-writer Emily V. Gordon. That's the story behind your name. Uh, Shinkai's next film was Weathering With You, which came out in 2019. I have not seen it, unfortunately. I'll try and see it before we record our next episode so I, so I can get some final thoughts on, on Shinkai. Although I'm sure we may revisit him. It wasn't quite the smashing success of your name, it, but it ultimately made $193 million worldwide. So still very successful by any standard especially for an anime film. This also feels ripe for like a North American uh, adaptation. Like it kind of hits a bunch of like these notes that work for that, uh, for the market, especially because it is like a young adult drama with like an interesting supernatural angle to it. Like I loved that. It's just, it's kind of a body swap film, but it's like not mm-hmm. like any, it's unlike any body swap film I've ever seen. Like it, like, and I like that. Like the rules aren't very explained. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah that doesn't either. surprise me though with those connections, because like I feel like this in an American market, it would be more of a like kind of romantic comedy in the vein of like those kind of time looping romance films that they look at. I feel like American people would really like eat that up. For sure. And yeah, we'll get into that because because this film has some twists, uh, one one twist that we find out about early on. But yeah, let's just jump into this. Uh, 
this film is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, I'm really glad I watched it on, on my TV as opposed to just watching on my laptop like I sometimes do because I don't have a budget for this movie. But Malcolm, this is definitely probably the best looking thing we've watched, I would say. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, oh. this is like if there's some like really like photorealistic elements, like what I really loved was like, like even the small details, like uh, like cough, uh, was it Boss Coffee is seen on a bunch of vending machines in the around like in the movie. And like for me, like even my, I'm gonna go back to my trip to Japan that I, that, <laughs> go that for I it. talked about. Is that like that was that was a very prominent logo on a lot of the vending machines when I was there. So to see it like captured, it was just like oh, like they're going for something very authentic in terms of its cinematography. Like it does not like feel at times like it's animated. Like this is like has this like oh, you could have easily shot this movie live action. And it would have translated the same, but because it's animated, it gets to do a lot more with a you know a smaller budget. So the last like animated movie, like really big one we watched was Akira, and that was that was quite a while ago. And of course, you know that's from like '88. So yeah, watching a 2016 anime film with with the kind of budget this is, this was definitely a a far cry from what we're used to watching, which is primarily television stuff. You can see the scope, like the scope in this is just it's so massive too. Like there's some there's some shots like of like the town like the small town that this like half this movie set in like you just really felt it you just kind of felt like the ruralness but that, like the connectiveness of it like it just like oh this like feels like an actual small town like it doesn't matter where in the world that small town is it's just like oh yeah you just kind of got the dynamics and then you compare it to like the hustle and bustle of the city it's like I really loved that there were shots of like the kids in the city who were like, they were in school and they had all like, you know, like the brand named like, you know, drinks and they've got like the fast food and all this stuff. And then you like put that composed to like the high school kids who are out in like kind of rural area, the small town. And they're just like, everything's a little more simple. Everyone's got their like homemade meals. And like, I don't know, just like these small attentions to detail, you know, just add an extra flavor to any film live action or not. I think like too, with, thinking about like the imagery they use for the small town and how like captivating it was and how it's I, I know in the beginning when she's like oh I hate it here this sucks I, I kept thinking like oh my god you're in paradise this looks awesome like this looks like the place to be like look at your home like and then it was like when you see obviously it's more than that it's not just the exterior she has her own internal conflict but when you see later kind of what happens to the town and you're like looking at that in comparison to how beautiful they set it up before, it really does make it a little more devastating for sure. Cause you feel so sad. You're like, Oh, you're losing that thing. No. Oh yeah. Oh no. I was just going to say, yeah. I mean, I like, it makes that the ending or even the revelations of the revelation. Just like, you know, it just impacts it even more because it just feels this like real place. But I also get the emotions, right? Like I get the emotion of being like, you know, being in a small town and wanting to leave desperately and like wanting like I want to I want to see the world. I want to see the big city. Like I I totally get that. Um, but it's one of those things you just don't really understand what you're leaving behind until you're gone. And because, you know, she's a teenager, you know, I can see why, you know, there's that thrill of you know of being away from that town yeah so so i just love the way this movie opens because i love how it builds up to the reveal um 
was was there a montage at the beginning of the film? How does this? What's the? Does anyone remember the direct uh, way this movie opens up? I'm more talking. No, about but just, I remember the montages. I remember the uh, montages. Montages the are first Twenty minutes. It's so surprising too, though, because that's like something that when you're watching live action film, like it's just used so differently. Like when you get a mm-hmm. montage in a film like that, it usually comes like in the second or third act when you're like trying to wrap up something or accelerate the plot. But like, I thought it was really cool the way they used it to like establish different things. And you would then just like take a really quick journey, like somewhere else because of these montages, which is very useful. Yeah. I mean, they're just so fun. I also just absolutely love the music. I mean, uh, we both, we all watched the dub version, did we? Or I don't know. I did. Yeah. We watched the dub. I mean, I watched the dub version. So anyways, let's just talk about how this initial reveal uh, builds up because, yeah, so we see this girl, her name is Mitsuha. I guess she made an ass of herself and she's constantly hearing about this and she has like seemingly no memory of it. That hints at what we're going to find out with this premise. I mean, what do you guys, what do you guys think? Because you, you had not seen the movie. I've seen this movie before. So I was connecting it to my knowledge of what's happening. Yeah. I mean, for me, uh, you know, I, I was kind of going like, okay, so something, you know, like, is she like someone who's going to have. I don't know how to even say why, like, I was just kind of enthralled by it. Like, I was like, oh, maybe she blacks out. Like, that was kind of how I I like was thinking about it. Like, oh, she just kind of blacks out. And, like, some of these things we've watched on this podcast, I'm like, oh, it's probably some sort of demon that's controlling her. And then we're going to have to, like, fight a demon. But no, I mean, you know, we have this whole day of her realizing, like, oh, you acted different. This was happening and all this stuff. And then they immediately, we were, like, inexplicably. Uh, what is it? Inexplicably. Oh my god, I can't even. Say Inexplicably. The word. Inexplicably, you know, shifting over to this boy Taki, and like he's kind of having the same thing too. And I, I do love the line, uh, which is kind of the end of like Mitsuha's like kind of first, uh, first sequence where she just says, "I hate this town. Please make me a handsome Tokyo boy in my next life." Uh, which is how we cut to cut to Taki. Um, I know or, that was very charming. M- Cut to Mitsua as Taki because yeah, this is a body switching movie. And I like yeah, immediately that- when there's the boob grabbing too, you're like, <laughs> oh, Freaky Friday. This is Freaky Friday. This is fr-. like in my kind of media intake that I've had, I'm just like, Kate, like some sort of Freaky Friday thing is gonna happen. And then I kind of like, not really a big fan of Freaky Friday, so I was like, yeah, damn. But then <laughs> it's a lot better than Freaky Friday. Thankfully, sure. and I'm yeah, I mean there's been a lot of gender bending uh comedies and throughout anime like ranma one half is kind of like yeah uh, we haven't covered ranma one half but it's kind of the ultimate one which is i'm not even gonna explain the plot because i haven't watched the show but but anyone can, can google that and yeah like it is like a, a i wouldn't say common trope but it's definitely in anime but i feel this movie just does it in like a really fun and not creepy way <laughs> i think that's the key thing this is this is not done in a really creepy way i like what i thought was kind of funny is like you know, because you, and this is where you realize, like, oh, they're teenagers. It's like, you know, as they swap, like, one does, like, the breast field, but then, like, she does the groin field, too. <laughs> so it's like, oh, it's like, it's a double, like, it's like this double edged sword. Like, it's just like, oh, yeah. Like, it's, it's not like, oh, it's like one pervert moment. It was like, oh, no, they both would do it. And it kind of seems like, um, yeah, what, yeah, I mean, yeah. like, as we, like, go on, they, they start realizing that they've been switching between them. Like these two only switch to each other. And I don't think we're jumping that far ahead. Like, I mean, it's, we're essentially like, she, you know, we go through her life and then mm-hmm. we go through his life. And then they like mm-hmm. kind of just start realizing, oh, something's up. 
And then they start yeah. having these memories of like, oh, I was over here. And then like, oh, I was over here. So then they like have this app on their phones, which I thought yeah, was really clever. Yeah, you travel clever. through that quite quick too, I found in the movie. Like the kind of back and forth between them, once it started amping up, like that was like a really kind of a montage thing too at one point. Yeah, oh, for sure. I mean, it's like, it really speeds up. Like the first act of this movie is sort of them both like discovering this ability and then also being like, oh, I, we don't know how this really works. We can't make it stop. Like it's just going to happen mm-hmm. on a whim. It seems they only happen when they go to sleep. Like sleep's the only trigger. You know, there's like, there's no like also like inciting moment right off the top that tells you like how this even happened. Like, I just like that. It's just like, we're dropped into this. And this is what the mm-hmm. scenario is. And they're both trying to cope the best that they can. I really mm-hmm. like too, like about that swap and also just like thinking about how like the the idea of like two di- of her wanting to be a boy and another life in Tokyo and like living that life. And it, one thing I really appreciated was like when she was like in Tokyo in his body, like, and she was kind of like flirting for him or like making these romantic connections. like. I thought it was so sweet and like endearing how she would be like, I wanted to go on that date. And you didn't need to talk about like sexuality. You didn't need to talk about that. Like, it was just like, no, like that was going to be a date that like, that he was going to enjoy. And like, when she was like in his living that life, like those were just connections that were made. And I thought it was just nice that like, they didn't have to be like, this person likes this gender and this person likes this gender and that person likes this. And it was just like, nah, didn't matter. No, I loved it. Uh, (laughs) The jealousy over the fact that, yeah. uh, uh, Oh man. How did I just forget her name? Um, Uh, Mitsuha. Mitsuha. The fact that, yeah, like Mitsuha not being able to go on the date that she set up. Yeah. Like that's, that's hilarious stuff. I also just love the, the person, um, that talk he kind of has the hots for his his coworker uh, Miki. I just love that first meeting where we see like uh, Mitsua in Taki's body, and yeah, she is like you know obviously acting more feminine and stuff. And you know she she uses her her sewing abilities after some gross customer like cuts uh, Miki's dress, and she's like, oh yeah, I didn't know you were good at sewing. Yeah, well, yeah. I- also the fact of a customer cutting her dress, I was like what like that was very alarming like that's that's someone just being like like, "Ah." that's the peak creepiness of that movie and again like having watched anime before i'm glad that was the peak because it could have been so much worse (laughs) yeah Yeah. i mean i think like what makes that kind of stand out as a moment is obviously yeah this is this like creepy moment it's something that like you know unfortunately happens you know at least it was just like a kind of a dress and nothing worse um, mm-hmm. But yeah, but I like that it opens up this moment where yeah, Miki kind of goes those like, oh, Teki, I didn't realize you have this like feminine quality to you, and that's also what drives Miki to like towards uh, Taki is just this like idea of like, oh, like they, they have this feminine side, which like opens up that whole thing that you were saying, Sinead, about like you know, oh, like fluidity of everything, and like I love that. Like I think that's the kind of a you know we're hopefully as society kind of moving towards. Is like, oh, it's this person's, you know, like having, you know, being in touch with that side of you, even though in this scenario, obviously, it's Mitsuwa who's occupying Taki's body, you know, is the one kind of who's a part of that moment. But yeah, I like, I had no problems with it. In fact, I was like, I almost kind of wanted that more. I was like, oh, I want to see like, like the way this kind of ends. Like, I mean, like, it is this love story 
But I was like, ah, oh, like, this could have been, like, this is, like, a love story that could have taken so many different directions. And oh, I totally. love that. I awesome. think you could have explored that, too, of, like, how maybe the two, like, women ended up together. And that could have been also a really interesting turn of events of, like, people entering each other's lives in these different ways instead of coming together with the two leads. Like, they could have entered the friendships that they made. But that would be a little more Freaky Friday because that was a little bit like what they did where... When you were in the body of the other person, mm -hmm. you were a better fit for their life and their friendships than that person whose own life it was. Oh, absolutely. And I think one of the other sides of this is that, you know, I like that, you know, and we'll, we're kind of jumping ahead a bit, but there's this element to this movie of like, as they keep kind of going back and forth into each other's lives, they're, you know, they're developing feelings for each other because they're like literally living those lives right and they, they go and like they're appreciating you know what they're seeing in the surroundings and like the be in the person they're in and like what that would mean in terms of like intuitively feeling what they feel um and you know and that's something that's also fascinating you don't hear about that a lot like in, in these body switching movies they never see that of like oh what is it like when you after you remove like you know do you still have these intense feelings is it like a blackout you know I just love that they kind of explored different shades of this body switch concept. Yeah, you guys articulated it perfectly. <laughs> I'm, I'm just riveted by this. Um, yeah, let's talk about the rules, though, because the, the rules sequence was just delightful. Uh, I wrote some of them down. There were quite a few of them. Um, of course, no, no bass, no touching for, <laughs> for, for Taki as Mitsua. Um, no wasting money on sweets. Watch your dialect. Uh Careful, oh wait, no, careful with skirts is back to Taki as Mitsua. Um, at one point, she's like, you need way too many shifts. And he says, because you keep wasting money. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I loved the way she spent his money and on in the treats. And she would get so excited to, like, eat the treats at the cafe. And yeah. then it, it was funny when he was like, the note about the spending too much money. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Like, she's like, how would that feel to have somebody just, like, spend all your money and you never mm -hmm. had any of the benefit to like taste the good food or like be pretty frustrating yeah for sure yeah because that's like i guess that's the one thing it's like although there is like that tit for tat situation where in theory mm -hmm. like oh like you can be spending her money but it's like very obvious that you know she's just you know very small again small town doesn't have a job just kind of living at home you know, probably like the family's like, you don't have to work. Like, you know, what are you going to spend your money on? Like, if you are going to work, whereas like, obviously in the city, it's like, hey, you know, there's always those temptations, the vending machines, the convenience stores, you know, yeah, the, you know, the fancier restaurants. Oh, like, you know, being in Tokyo for her, it's just like, oh, I want to do like tourist things, right? It's just like mm -hmm. all these small things that maybe you don't get, like in like the small town, it's like, oh, we'll go to like the hiking spot. But it's like the hiking spot doesn't cost money. <laughs> It just costs like sweat equity. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I like the moment where um, where where Taki as Mitsuo is like building like a uh, a table and like seats for them for her friends or his friends, uh, however you want to pronounce that. I guess I would say like her friends. I mean, her friends. Yeah, because I guess it is her body. So that's yeah, because he has friends of his own, right? Like that's the other side of it. It's like what I like yeah. is that they she has her friends, he has their friends. Yeah. Even though they kind of interconnect, they obviously become their friends. But it's not like this right away. Like, you know, people are like, you're acting weird. Like, what's going on with you? And it's like, until they get like used to the dynamics or even knowing their mm -hmm. names. Like, I mean, that's like one would be what that one thing is like, oh, like if I swap bodies with like a good friend of mine, 
I'm not going to know a bunch of people in their lives, for instance, because I'm not going to know like, oh, if they're like, you know, so-and-so's cousin calls. I'm like, if they haven't really mentioned the cousin before, like, why would I know their name? I don't even know the password for their like Facebook or whatever. There, there's a lot. And I love the way they're like using notes. I mean, at first it starts off with, with just them writing in each other's journals where they're writing, who are you? And then of course they, they figure out the text message system. Well, they're like writing on themselves. That's certain. Yeah. It's like, yeah. What are you? Who are you? But yeah, I liked it. I liked that they're like, and then he respected the rules and like she respected the rules too. Like there was this like mutual respect because it could have gone into like gross territory. And I'm sure it's sure there's an anime or 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 a few <laughs> that have done that. Uh, but again, this is why this movie is a success because again, it it does so in just a a nice way. Like it it has it has the funny comedy moments of you know obviously Taki as Mitsuo he keeps grabbing her initially. And hey, like you know you're a 15 year old. Like I I don't blame them. I love the sisters' reactions though. Like the little sister. Oh my god, is the, the so sister is so good in this movie. I yeah, love but, when she calls her a dumbass. Like, doesn't she do that? Like, when they have some sort of fight, but she's just like, yeah, stop being a dumbass. And it's like, oh my God, aren't you like nine? Like, I love that she calls her sister an like a, an asshole or a dumbass or something when they're, when she's mad, frustrated with her or annoyed. And that's just like, she's nine years old and she's just like, got such a good spunk. She's funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you always want that like spunky nine year old in these stories, especially mm-hmm. if they're teenagers. Like I always, yeah, for whatever reason, I love that trope of just like if there's like a lead teenagers, like like an even younger sibling who's kind of more wise than anyone else in the you know in the film or TV show or whatever. You know what what's interesting about this is like okay after this rule set and they kind of live their their lives, you know they kind of do the logical thing, which is like oh we should phone each other. Like we both have technology, we both have. You know, we have this ability to like connect. So why don't we? Mm-hmm. And I was like very happy that they like made this phone call because I'm like, yeah, that's the obvious thing to do. It's like, yeah, obviously I'd reach reach out because I'm like, I'm living your life. Like we should actually meet each other so we <laughs> understand what's going on. And uh, I'm I'm living your life. Do you want to talk? Like I'm kind of know. like living in your body half the time. <laughs> yeah, but then in like you know in a weird uh, twist. Uh, they can't phone each other because like it kept uh, saying like it's the line's dead it's always the line's mm-hmm. dead um, and we, we yeah. find out why we do find out why yeah, um but, but initially i'm going oh that kind of makes sense i mean she's in a small town yeah you know maybe like it's like a shitty connection kind of deal like you know i don't know but then you like also think about it that way and i'm like i've been in small towns with my cell phone and if i have any <laughs> bars i can still contact people <laughs> like i can still there's ways around it, but obviously that's like a, you know, kind of a red herring for what turns out to be one of the twists that really shocked me. Like it was a, mm-hmm. it was a shocking twist. So I think we could, we can kind of divide this up into, you know, the, the three act structure, because this is kind of where our second act leads us. Um, yeah. We, we have the early twist in the first act, you know, this is a body switching movie, you know, where are they going to be? Are they going to fall in love? And then, then we get this next twist. Um, so yeah, this is also a time travel movie, kind of, sort of, or time, is it, is it travel or time shifty, timey, wimey? What, how, how would you yeah, guys define I'd say that? like time shift. Time I mean, shift? You, can, you can tell. Parallel timelines. Yeah, that's, that's the one. That's, that's the one. Yeah. You, well, you can tell that interstellar played a, a large role 
in the shaping of how time is, you know, seen in this film, because it has these parallels where it's like interstellar has these moments. And it's like, you can really tell the parallels kind of like in the last act, but like right mm-hmm. there, you're like, Oh, like the fact that this is taking place in two separate timelines. Like it's like a less convoluted lake house. I don't know if you remember that Keanu Reeves. I, I know of it. Sandra I think Bullock. I know the twist, but I never saw the movie. I'll just ruin the twist because it's it's not worth seeing. <laughs> it's that they both live in the same lake house and they communicate through this mailbox, mm. but they both exist in different times. Like Which times? Like, Is it like eighties and in two thousands or future? No, or it's like a five year. It's like a, uh, it's, okay. It's kind of like this movie that it's like it's not that far away. But it's not it's like just, one where you could tell the. Where you could obviously tell the the difference between you know yeah those. no that's why you always think like oh like how are they not communicating mm. it's like oh because mm. like, she's five years in the past I if I remember correctly I I saw the movie a long time ago <laughs> uh, tune in next week for uh, for is the lake house <laughs> yeah well this is this movie the lake house it's like this is what the lake house wishes it was it's like this is honestly the lake house wishes it was this movie yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, you guys, th- this is obviously the first time for you two watching. I'd already seen the movie, so I was, you know, pick- picking up the hints and stuff. But, yeah, uh, how would you feel about the twist that, yeah, this is parallel timelines. Um, Taki is, is Taki in present or is he three years in the future? I don't know. Let's say Taki is present and Mitsua is three years in the past. That's what I assume. I assume that he was in the present because he's the one yeah. who can be active or she couldn't be. Yeah. Um. And then also, like, you know, because mm-hmm. like also this movie, we haven't talked about this movie kind of centers around this, like, comet passing by, like, passing over Japan. Yeah. That's, and, yeah. And that's the you first know thing we already see that that's going to be a whole thing. Yeah. And then, because, like, both of the characters, uh, Mitsuya and uh, Taki, both, like, want to watch it, too. Like, they're both very fascinated by this. Like, he watches it, and she, like, climbs up this mountain to watch it with her friends. Um and so, like, you know, you know that plays a part in this. Yeah, but the twist is, is he goes and he's like, fine, if I can't, you know, if I can't contact her over the phone, I'm going to go and actually visit her. So they, like, <laughs> him and his friends take a train to where the city or her town is. Um, and, yeah, they discover that uh, that town was actually destroyed by the comet. That the comet split when it was over Japan and just out of sheer, like, you know, unluckiness, this comet hit the town, destroyed it, and killed, I think they say 500 people, which is, I assume, the entirety of the mm-hmm. town. It was Anyone... a th- in the first part, they, I think they said it was a third of the town. But I okay. don't know if that number changed when we got to the end, which was what was confusing me, which is something I actually have questions about. Okay. Yeah, I well, mean, I assume... Well, the way that like it is is that like it hits us the main part of the town because there's also like this um this festival that's happening at the same time like because like in the opening you know we see them performing uh kuchi uh kamazaki which is like yeah. part of like uh it's an ancient ritual of alcohol where they like like suck it on rice and then spitting it out and then that ferments it to make it alcohol and it's kind of like a gross thing to watch animated i was like oh but yeah. i mean i also know <laughs> kind of how culturally significant it is and like the shrines in Japan are very important to the culture and to the people and like this takes place at a, a Shinto shrine um, which is again very important especially for these small towns and this is all taking place over an autumn festival um, 
so like you, so you have the people who are out and about in the town like they wouldn't be away from it because like one of the plots of this film is that the town's partially destroyed like most of the main parts are destroyed but like the high school stays intact like it just misses because mm. they're also around a lake like that's the other thing like this town's like a lake town so yeah so when he, they finally arrive to this town uh, that's when they piece uh, we finally see like he draws the town because he's also like Taki's an inspiring architect um, like he's very uh, inspired by like you know the buildings and the town so he's built he's actually drawn the town from his memory on paper and he's they uh, he and his friends are at this diner and he shows uh the diner to the waitress and the waitress goes oh my god like you won't believe this and it's like the owner of the diner or like the waitress's husband is like oh i grew up in that town and that's when we were, that's actually when we were revealed that like oh this town was destroyed yeah and, like i can't believe mm-hmm. you were able to like make such a photorealistic you know drawing of this town because like this town hasn't existed for three years uh, mm-hmm. and like this obviously like haunts Taki to the point where like he goes and he's like this can't be true like what does this mean mm-hmm. like this means everything's even weirder like he's now what is it he's bought you know he's going three years into the past uh, mm-hmm. in this body switching thing to someone who's actually dead um, yeah that's the thing she we he, he sees her name on like the list of uh, casualties from this event and then when that kind of happens uh, all his memories and messages start to fade away that was also really crazy. Like that's like such a, like almost a horror sequence. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, watching everything just delete. Like the app basically deletes itself, but like slowly it's like the, the, you know, the rules are deleted and like the diary entries are deleted. And then like, just like it's all gone. And then he's like starting to fade. And they keep talking about like, there's like these things where they reference like the grandmother, like uh, <laughs> Mitsuya's grandmother may have experienced something similar at some point. Like that, this is like something mm-hmm. that generationally, has happened in her family. I don't know if it's a, in Taki's family, and maybe I'm just like, maybe I'm getting this totally wrong. Mm. But, um, but yeah, I mean, this is. I don't know why. I just like this. I love this reveal. For me, is kind of what sucked me into this film, I, and I was just like, oh, I like, I'm on board. I'm on board for everything now because like I'm like, oh, I don't know what to expect. You know, like sometimes yeah. you can really like, especially with films, you can really like guess ahead. This one I couldn't guess at all. Yeah, I think it was really smart for them too to like start with her. I mean, like, I'm there are other reasons, obviously, but mm. the one reason being that she kind of disappears from the sequence around when Taki's like looking for her, and like you're like, oh god, like what what the hell's mm. happened? And then you kind of that sense of loss is like, it's like yes, it's happened in the plot, but like as an audience member, when you lose like the first protagonist that you were introduced mm. to, like that's, that's upsetting. And you're like, what? Cause that's the character you start to try to identify mm-hmm. with. Like, cause you're like, okay, this is their story. This is, I'm putting myself in their shoes, their perspective, they're switching bodies. They want this, they want that. And then they're just gone. And like, so it was like the audience had to like it, that, that mystery of it had a lot more impact, I think, than if we had, found out about that in a different way oh for sure i mean she's the first character we see like Mm -hmm. see her point of view like we we don't see it like taki like is the other character like for a long time you're going like oh this is this isn't really like it's their story technically but like yeah for sure and she's she's the the one she's the one who's like actively making taki's life better for instance like it's Mm -hmm. like you know he she's the one who's like setting up him up on the date and like Maybe that's, you know, more for herself. 
um, and like the fluidity of you know her you know sexuality or gender expression or whatever you know whatever it is and I like there's a vagueness to it um, but yeah to see her gone and then we also kind of see a sequence of her dying like that's the other side of it which is like you see it and maybe just a little later I forget but like she's they like her and her friends around the top and we see literally the comet splitting up and it like hitting the town and hitting the hill that she's on like it is like they don't shy away from showing like okay she's dead mm-hmm. and like she's not you know and that the, this was no accident like it's not like oh she went missing because like mm-hmm. it's, it'd be one thing if she just went missing but it's another thing to be like no she's gone mm-hmm. yeah and it brings that urgency later for you to like see and like understand why he would try to talk to her why he would feel so desperate and why like when they finally do talk and they and they move into like kind of discovering what has happened and what's going on or what could happen in her timeline like before that um like meteor hit like it's you the urgency you just like feel so nervous like oh god like you i don't want you to die like can we change this yeah. 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 But then we also like one of the things is immediately afterwards we're then put back into her perspective, and what mm-hmm. it is that she also can't get a hold of him, um, because uh, it, you know as it turns out he hasn't experienced the body switch yet, but she like goes out of her way to travel to Tokyo to go find him, and she actually does find him. And I love this sequence because like also part of it was. Uh, Taki gets this like red w- ribbon from this girl like on a train like at the very beginning of the film you don't really know it and she's, he's like so, you know what's your name like that's kind of how your name the title of the movie mm-hmm. is you know, spoken and shown but uh, but yeah we kind of see her and she actually finds him but he doesn't know who she is because I mean this is part of the you know the kind of doubling down on the timeline which is like she's three years in the past like he hasn't mm-hmm. experienced the body switch yet like to him, he's yeah. just living his life as like I presume at that point he's what thirteen, twelve, thirteen. Um, yeah, I guess he, I guess he's younger than her. I'm, yeah, I'm going cross-eyed from this. Yeah, the age. I mean, this is what happens with like time travel. So it's like when you talk about it too much, it's like all of a sudden you're like, oh no, I don't understand what's happening. Um, like, like they say in Austin Powers when he's just trying to figure it out, he's like, oh my god, I've gone cross-eyed. But yeah, no, uh, Mitsuo, she did hand him her hair ribbon, and that's what he's had uh, on his wrist as a good luck, luck charm ever since. And then, yeah, Taki, he wakes up in Mitsuo's body at the morning of the festival, and um, who's Hitoa again? Hitoa is the grandmother? Uh, I think so. Uh, yeah, it's the grandmother. Hitoa, the gra- yeah, Hitoa's the grandmother. Yeah, and she figures out this like body switching ability. It's passed down to her family as uh, caretakers of the shrine. So that's what it comes from. Although they does, they don't explain how he gets picked, which I kind of like. I like that it was like he's vaguely like it just kind of seems like oh he was just happened to be looking at the right time for it to occur. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you have any theories? Do either of you have theories mm-hmm. as to why he was picked? I guess just because yeah, of the ribbon. No. I guess the ribbon's the connection. But yeah. he would have been picked uh, before then because she would have been already body swapping with him before the ribbon incident. Hi, timey wimey. I'm, <laughs> I'm not good with this deal. Yeah. I'm not no, good. you're, I'm you're right. The because the ribbon is a physical construct. So I'm just saying the ribbon. The ribbon's yeah. like, she, she put the power in the ribbon. I'm saying that. Uh, listeners, you can correct us, but um, I'm just going to stay silent when it comes to timey wimey stuff. 
That's what, I like about Doctor- that's what I like about Doctor Who. It's like wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Boom. Every, I guess the, the ribbon kind of makes sense. Like she picked him, but he had already been picked. And, you know, it's the way uh, time, where time we works. could be here for an hour just talking about but that her one timeline. Yeah, it's like she, she w- it would have happened first in her timeline, but it's like in his timeline. I don't know. Yeah, uh, well, it, we got to well, get some drawing charts. Like, got to get some charts out and see what we're working with. Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll talk more about this next week on another episode of <laughs> whose timeline is it anyways? Um, yeah. Um what do you what do you think of the plan of uh Mitsuo's friends to like uh blow up the electrical station? I thought that was fun. They they do a false emergency alert alert. I thought that was cute. I just love it when they get the whole town involved. I just love that stuff of oh the whole town is coming together and the friends are trying to save everyone. I just love that stuff. Mm-hmm. I, well, no, I, I love I, that the friends were just on board. Like you didn't have yeah. to have deal with them being like, Oh my god, what? You're freaking out. You're not being yourself anymore. And it's like, no. It, and and to go back to like Mickey, like they go on a date and Mickey realizes that, you know, um, Taki has someone else on his mind, but I like how they're still friends, you know, like, I, and they, mm-hmm. they continue to be friends even in the final time skip of the film. Like they, these people are still part of their lives, which I like. Yeah. I mean, I mean, also, I mean, they have, you know, she has a more vested interest to keep them alive too, because presumably they're also fatalities, right? Like they're, you know, they, they oh, no yeah, that's the other thing too, for sure. They, you know, they have no reason not to believe her. And they, they've also been observing her day to day to seeing these erratic shifts, right? Like they are her close friends. So they would be, mm. you know, knowledgeable of the fact that like, oh, these shifts are happening. And like, also there's like a convenient element to this movie with like her, like uh, Monsieur's father is the mayor of this small town. Like he's, you know, um, so he has these accesses to like, you know, the emergency system and, you know, and that, like, she can actually talk to him and be like, this is what's about to happen. Because, like, the other mm-hmm. thing is, like, it is that element of, like, kids trying to, like, you know, save the world and adults being like, you're just stupid fucking kids. Like, why are we going <laughs> to listen to you? Mm-hmm. Um, but I love the urgency yeah. to it. Like, there's this element of, well, it's because she's going to die. And but I love that, they, you know, it, even though he's finally at the town, they're still doing the switching on some level because, well, that's the other thing. So they kind of stop switching because, like, he gets to, like, the ruins of the town and they start having these, like, interstellar moments where they're, like, connecting and he can hear her voice and they're, like, standing really close to each other, but they can't see each other or really touch each other, but they're communicating and he's going through time, like, in this kind of, like, fantastical way, like, the same way that, like, Matthew McConaughey went through time and interstellar. A movie I still Um, have not seen. You know, (laughs) it's a very sad emotional scene. In Interstellar. We, we've referenced Interstellar multiple times on this podcast, and I still have yet to see it. Yeah, it's unfortunate, because I, I think it's overrated. But, uh, yeah, but it's important nice to, to understand that like, there's clearly a parallel between these two films. Sinead, yeah. have you seen Interstellar? I have, yeah. And I, I found that um, in the beginning, when you were reading, like, the kind of inspiration for this having to be, having to do with Interstellar, like, that is really shocking. Like, the the link between that because i yeah i i would prefer this to interstellar and so it's kind of like oh you don't oh. want to be better than the, <laughs> the original but yeah. i think that the problem with interstellar and i'm just going to go on a slight tangent is is that like a lot of christopher nolan's films it's uh it just lacks emotion like this movie's full of emotion your name has a ton of emotion 
Like, mm-hmm. I was like on the verge of tears at times. Yeah, man, you know, for sure. I was, you know, laughing. I was really just enthralled by it. And in like Interstellar, like I was talking to a buddy of mine when it first came out, where like Anne Hathaway has this monologue about love. In the theater I was at when I watched that, uh, people laughed at it. Like the people were just like, "This is so stupid! Like, why is she having this monologue?" Also, the way uh, Christopher Nolan plays with sound, like the the music was much mm-hmm. like louder than the dialogue. So you're like, "What the fuck is she saying?" And like, I had other friends who like who like like me were like, "That was so stupid." Uh, and then. Uh, and other friends who were like crying and like, like this is the most emotional thing. I'm like, this is a very de- decisive movie. Mm. Also, the whole plot of like Matthew McConaughey abandons his kids um, to go on this space adventure, even though he's like, uh, a farmer, <laughs> is really stupid. You're like, why is he a farmer? Like, it's like, it's just, you know, like all these like problems. Um, Let's talk about the emotional moments in this movie that did work, which is, um, yeah, both them at like the site of. What's at the side of? Oh man, my. Well, they go to the, the mountain top. Yeah, the. Well, he Taki goes to the shrine, and that's where where apparently Mitsu's body is. Like that's mm-hmm. the other thing is like, the, which is actually really creepy and kind of sad is that like she's buried at the shrine. Like they haven't been able to like get all these bodies out because of it. It was just so devastating. Mm-hmm. But what else? What, what else? I feel like I cut you off. No, when they when they both like they're both meeting up at the same spot but it's between, you know, parallel timelines and stuff. Yeah, and then the golden hour comes, and we get the mm-hmm. little callback to that class lesson where they're like, what is Twilight, class? <laughs> um, I love that, though, the way it's like, I'm trying to articulate it, the way the images are, like, par- doing the parallel. Again, like, they're both in the same spot, and they can't see one another, but the camera, the camera is cutting between that. Yeah, well, they cut, like, where, like, he's on, like, the, or she's on the left side of the frame, and he's on the right side of the frame, but they're like obviously not in the same frame, mm-hmm. uh, but they're like cutting back and forth, like a kind of like a dialogue scene, but you can tell it's so jarring. It's like such a great directorial choice. Like I love like visually you can see just the distance, even though like, you know, in theory, they're like standing feet away from each other, but they're like actually going about, you know, trying to communicate. But you, you like, can... They're literally separated by time. And I guess in theory <clears throat> life. Yeah, I mean, I'm just imagining how the how the American remake is going to attempt to adapt yeah. it. Where I'm just like, how how not good is that going to look? I'm not even like trying to insult the the director. Uh, I'm not familiar with his work, but I'm sure he's better than Mark Webb and, and Emily V. Gordon is cool. But like again, like there's it, it's something that comes up on the podcast a lot, and even just when it comes to animation, not just anime, but say like the Lion King remake, where just some things are just better when they're animated. You know what I mean? Some things like you. You gotta just respect the form, and sometimes there's a reason why this was animated and it's not live action, or why it's not photorealistic or whatever. There's just a level of, of just beauty that already exists. I will say that I I will trust uh, Lee Isaac Chung, uh, Cheng for uh, with this movie just because he did uh, Minari. I think that's how you pronounce. Oh, he it. did that. Yeah, it's his film. Oh, thing. oh shit! I didn't realize that. Well, never mind. Okay, then I do give. Him I a think lot he's of trust. gonna do a great job. If okay. he is the one who makes this film next. If he well, if he gets an Oscar, then he should definitely um use that. All right, uh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry, uh, uh, Lee's Isaac Chung, and but wow, that that's awesome though that he's the one doing it. Yeah, well, yeah, it makes sense. But yeah, I mean, we don't know if he'll he'll be one of like a list of directors who get attached and then do other projects or not. Yeah. yeah. Uh, at this point, when we record but, and release this in twenty twenty one, 
at at the moment though at the moment that is very optimistic for this movie um but even then i think animation still has a level of beauty where it's like you can't really top or or emulate what this film is doing again i just love the way the comets look i love yeah this movie is just so damn gorgeous this is this is not a uh visual podcast unfortunately but man you just watch the images and oh it's so goddamn good looking i think it also is important to like in terms of like creative direction recognize animation as a choice and not just if you're primarily working in like live action that you would think of it as like a like a secondary or less superior art form when it's not it's a different art form it's its own art form it does many things better and some things it doesn't have that live action has but the Mm. same is said and so i think yeah like I, if if the director and the team behind this is are trusted, then I bet it's probably going to make a great film of its own because it's a really great story. But in terms of like the visuals and the way the story was told through animation, like it's it's not going to be the same in live action. It'll hmm. be different. And I think like respecting them, I hope it doesn't try to be like exactly the same. Man, though, when, when when the comet when the comet destroys the town, oh my god, though that's that's when you're like, oh, this shit was real. <laughs> Because the destruction in that is like, oh, yeah, like, yep, that that messed some people up. Yeah, well, they, like, show the deaths, right? Like, and they show that this is, yeah, this, again, wasn't this fantasy. Like, because they they often refer to, like, the dreams. uh, Mm. Like, oh, like, I was just dreaming. Like, that was especially in the early on, being like, oh, this isn't a dream. Like, this is real. Um, And, like, this is, you know, happening. And, yeah, it just adds the stakes to the final act, which is, like, you know, mostly Mitsua you know, kind of reverting back to her timeline and then getting this one last chance to go save herself and the town. Yeah. Uh, and like, and the, she's not going to save the town itself. Like that's going to be gone, but like at least save the people, and like let the people live. Yeah. And the other thing too, man, uh, when they're, when the magic hour is like fading away and they're trying to write down their names and all, instead of writing down uh, his, uh, instead of Taki writing down his name, he writes, I love you instead. And you're just like, Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> oh god yeah well because like one of the other things that happened has happened in this movie is that um miki who is the one that you know they they i'm gonna say they for this one they date like uh Taki mm, that, that's, and that's appropriate you know they date uh at the beginning miki kind of is the one who says like it seems like you're preoccupied with someone else like you must have met someone else and i guess it's true like because he's clearly had you know started to develop these feelings and they're only intensified by like you know these lot these you know this realization that it's like back in time and that he's lost her and like you know and that he was really you know loved the life that he was having like switching in and out with her because like there's like i guess i don't know if there's like a sense of loneliness but i think sometimes like especially when you're in a city you know and you see so many people all the time uh it's weird to like be like, oh, I feel so alone at times. Like, and I've and I've de- I've definitely felt that. Like, if I've traveled by myself to like somewhere like New York or Toronto or London or whatnot, you know, if you're by yourself, it can get like there's almost this overwhelming sense of loneliness compared to like even if you're just in a small town and you know some people. Like, it's very hard mm-hmm. to describe. I don't know if either of you've had that before. Oh, definitely. Uh-huh. I come. I grew up in a small town, so the feeling of rural closeness is definitely familiar and like moving to even just Vancouver, like you'll be in a crowd, you'll be in a kind of like 
a busy sidewalk and you might be feeling more alone than like you had when you were sitting in your apartment by yourself and you could see someone on their balcony across the way. Like that idea of being like alone in a crowd, I think is really pressing. I'm I'm a city boy, born and raised in <laughs> Vancouver my whole life. And uh, when I, when I, when I talked, when I talked to townsfolk, um, I've always just like, you know, I'm a fast paced person as, as folks could probably tell by this point. Um, so yeah. And even, even the different places I've traveled to, it's always been cities. So I'm just like, no, small town, not for me. But I do remember like going to Australia for the first time in Sydney and being like, oh, this is just Vancouver. This is literally just Vancouver. And I'm like, oh, all cities are the same. There's definitely ones that are a bit more different, but that's my story about cities and, and why I'm a city boy. <laughs> Why I'm a city boy. Yeah, so I don't know that feeling. <laughs> I'm 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 talky all the way and I didn't even get the uh the the magical um life changing experience that Taki got. Yeah. I don't know where I'm going with this. Well, I mean I mean I get that. Like I guess like you know, it's funny, like um yeah, this is kind of what's supposed to be some sort of comedy podcast where we've been very like introspective, which I think is, like, <laughs> is appropriate for this film. <laughs> Cause yeah, as you know, as they like the twilight hour fades. You know, we're, you know, we're, we see like, I don't know how to even say it. Like Mitsuya basically put into, you know, work her plan to go save everyone. Mm-hmm. And she's like running and she's like falling and she's, she's a lot, like she like goes around a corner with a bike and the bike kind of like falls off a cliff. I thought that was kind of funny. I was like, oh, like what? she's going that fast and she's running and like, she literally trips at one point. And, like, oh yeah. You know, and they're like she her and her rolls. friends. Yeah, they, she just, like, rolls. Like, that's, like, the one moment where it's, like, like a very anime, in my mind, of, like, oh, it's, like, ex- over-exaggerated, like, tumbling down a hill. And it's not even that steep of a hill. It's, like, she just tumbled down a slight incline. But she was running in loafers, so she was bound to trip. That's true. It did take me back to my, uh, I'll, I'll admit it, my private school days where you have to, you know, I went to <laughs> private school where, uh, for high school where, like, and it was on a hill and I, everyone at some point, like during like my, our time there, everyone wiped out on that hill, just trying to run. Cause like our high school was at the top of the hill and the gym was at the bottom. So if you were running late for class for whatever reason, or like running late to gym, yeah, it was very easy to be like, Oh, there's some mud. It rained today. Cause we're, in, you know, we're, uh, this was in Vancouver. Well, you'll just slip and fall. <laughs> so yeah, after, after this whole sequence, the, uh, the town is saved and we get, a time jump. Um, so yeah, Taki, he wakes up in his own time frame, remembering nothing. And we fast forward five years later. Um, I'm not going to lie. I did want to, I did want to see like some of Mitsuha's friends in the, in the future, present, whatever we want to call it. I was kind of mm-hmm. bummed. We didn't, we didn't get them. I would have liked yeah. to see her. I thought or, we did though. I thought, oh, I thought I, we did. Did I miss that? Um, yeah, she was, well, it's she was the- dating um, the one friend, wasn't she? They were talking about a wedding. Yeah. They're in the coffee shop. Oh, I just totally missed that. But I, I thought it, I didn't think it was Mitsuya that was there. I thought it was the other friend. Like it was the other, like the other two friends. Like there's like, Ta- is it Taki's friends, Miki and? No, 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 not Taki. It was, I think it would be Tessie and Sayaka. Sayaka. I'm really butchering this. I'm so sorry. Mm. They're like the two friends. Like she's the, like the, it's the the male friend who helps blow up. The, oh like, yeah. The they... car. And then it's the girl who like does the broadcast. Like that's yeah. who I assumed was in the coffee mm. shop. And that's they, like your first clue they, that they made it out. 
Okay, yeah, they they are. And and according to Wikipedia, he talks about his upcoming marriage to Sayaka on top of that. Yeah. So she I, had the same hair, like with her short hair, that threw me. Because I was like, what? She didn't like the short haircut before. So that's why I was like, was didn't think that that was the friend. Yeah, well, that's another interesting part. Is she cuts her hair short with Siwa, um, which again, I think is another kind of interesting almost like uh, part of like this commentary of her, you know, um, kind of more getting accustomed to Taki's body, which is like, she's mm-hmm. like, I want to cut my hair short. And like, they obviously yeah. like her friends make a point of it early on in the film, but then it's like, I, it's like, Oh, it works. And like, you know, it, like no one questions it at a certain point. It's just like, she just did this thing. And uh, uh, just, just for more future info for, for the future timeline, whatever you want to call it. According to this, uh, Taki's friend uh, Sukasa is engaged to Miki. Okay, so both of the friends get engaged to, to each other. Everyone gets together. Every everyone of you know, convenience. Of, of convenience, but it's nice. I mean, again, yeah. it's, just, it's the it's the tone of this movie though, which is just you know, love wins, and yeah, it's a nice movie. Um, let's talk about the ending though. Let's talk. Let's talk about what what, what we've come here for the. The the re meeting the the reunion of of Mitsua and Taki. Yeah, they really play with you in the end there when they like don't have them turn around and you're like, oh my god, are you not gonna turn around? Like when they like walk past oh each god. other and it's like, like I, it's like, oh god, no! Like they kind of play with you at the end there. Yeah, I mean, I think it would have been a great ending had they cut it off with just them standing like on those stairs uh, by the shrine. Uh, and then it's just like them back to back and then ending it. Like that would have been a great ending. But I also do like that they do like continue it just a little further with them admitting that they do know each other, that they feel this connection. You know, they're at the right place finally. And like, it's been eight years, right? That's the other side of it is that mm-hmm. like, the timeline has jumped eight years. So they're now both in their, you know, early to mid twenties. Um, I guess she would be three years old. She's got to be in her mid, mid to late twenties. He's in like mm-hmm. his early twenties. I assume, unless he... That's, that's uh, timey-wimey, timey-wimey. Timey-wimey. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I do like that they, you know, they connect. And, um, and, again, it's that fluidity that they actually do really care about each other. Yeah, I liked it. I mean, it's a great it's a great ending. Like, I mean, there's yeah. part of me that kind of wishes Mitsuya almost was, you know, um, that it was more platonic. I don't know if uh, either of you felt that way or, like, it could have been more platonic. But I also with the fluidity of everything, it's like, yeah, it could make sense if it's romantic too. Yeah, they need to fall in love. And and yeah, I love that. I mean, we got the platonic friendships with like, you know, Taki and Miki. I think that was kind of our positive platonic friendships for that stuff. Well, um, they don't kiss. Like, that's the other side of it. Like, this is not yeah, like... It deprives us of that. Uh, they just ask for each other's name and that's how it ends. Which is, <laughs> I, actually, what I kind of love too. Like, I love that it was, they believed it on like kind of a ambiguous note. I don't know and about they, you. Like, and as they a say the name of the title. Shanae, as a filmmaker, like, how did you feel, like, of the ending? Their choices? I felt, like, I felt satisfied, for sure, because, like, I think all you wanted was for them to know that they were meeting each other and that there was that possibility that, like, more could happen. Like, because, like, even if they just even looked at each other and, like, you could have had that moment, I think, in different ways, like maybe even looking at each other and smiling like they realize and it's peaceful or maybe 
they're surprised uh, and you end on like a heartbeat. Yeah. Like I think that the way they did it, it made a lot of sense to me and it would have felt incomplete had they not met. Yeah. And you know, I love that cheesiness of, of, oh my God, they said the name of the title, you know, that whole family guy joke where it's like, ah, I love it when they say the name of the title in a movie. Um, but this, this movie does it well though. It's not in like a, a cringy or, or, or silly, uh, Superman for the quest for peace way. No, I mean, uh, it's perfect. I, mean, I think it's a perfect line, uh, to end the movie on. Yeah, it works really well. I think again, it's when it's really forced and it's obvious, but this one, it's like, doesn't feel forced. Um, yeah. so Sinead, not to like put you on the spot, but again, the whole, your whole filmmaker background, are there, how, how would you adapt this movie or what sort of choices would, would you like to see had you, you know, been given your chance to kind of do this? I don't know. Is that too much oh. on the spot? I mean, like, I think it can probably, I'll probably have a lot to say, but I'll try to keep yeah, it concise and like, and just say what comes to mind. Yeah. Um, I think like. I think the more mystery you have, I think the better. And I think that would be something like in some, in a, in a reality where I was going to make a, an adaptation or even write a script of an adaptation for this, I would definitely want there to be a lot of mystery to the audience of like not knowing who is in control, whose life you're in and what that is. Because I think like what's been really clear with what we're talking about is there's a lot of that, a lot of beauty and like the kind of relationship between like just human experience and that like when you're living someone's life, they might be totally different from like your own memories, your own lifestyle. But there's a lot of things in common and a lot of experiences that when you share them, like love, like uh, that are that are universal, like when when she like when she's dating and his body and it's like, oh, no, that's like a really relatable experience and she's enjoying that she's enjoying these feelings and enjoying this and i think that in a live action adaptation that exploring that more would be beautiful but i think that you also come into contact then with like certain uncomfortable things about people in each other's body and then like mm -hmm. the kind of idea of like setting those boundaries and like kind of having that respect for another person and and also just like what what is your discomfort level with someone else being inside your body like kind of a whole invasion of privacy i think also with like a, a north american adaptation obviously you know J japan it is a very homogenous country i mean both both of the characters in this film are japanese i think that is like a unique thing that uh, a north american adaptation could could tackle the whole difference between racial identity i mean the mark webb one it was a, a native american girl i don't know if Lee Isaac uh, Chung one if there's been any changes of racial identity or we don't even know the casting either so I think that's also probably a really interesting aspect that a North American adaptation could tackle I hope that they would do like a diverse casting I mean like, absolutely really, absolutely I think it'd be a really they fascinating I, yeah. I think it'd be a really fascinating angle to to make up more even more diverse I would certainly uh, yeah. uh, trust Lee Isaac Chung a lot more than Mark Webb with handling that stuff too yeah, and also too, like with that with that racial identity, it shift between the characters. Then, like if that were the case, you would also you could also find ways to then bring in elements of diversity in other aspects too. Like um, religion could be a really interesting thing to mm -hmm. explore. Class could be an interesting thing too. Of like 
complete really really diversifying the two characters that are that are flipping like so that it really is a total shift of like it's not like oh i think that there's a lot of beauty in like not noticing oh my god your life is just like mine but like wow Mm. like your life is totally not like mine and that is like fucked up because of this or that's Mm -hmm. awesome because of my life is like this and i think that it could be really like thoughtfully done that that's a way where certainly a north american remake if it's done properly could be really cool in my opinion Um, i think there's also (laughs) uh, more possibility to like play with like mitsua as like a non-binary figure like i think Mm -hmm. and exploring that would be a really fascinating part of this like of the story too like, I think you can, you know, like, I think that's, like, something that, like, I wish they kind of explored a little bit more because it's, like, hinted mm-hmm. at this film, but mm-hmm. not really outright done. Um, yeah. You know, because uh, she cuts her hair and she's obviously, like, really excited about this Mickey date and very jealous that mm-hmm. she's going to be on it. And, you know, she's had it so planned. She has that Mickey date so planned that, like, she's like, yeah, by this time, like, at 10.30 night, like, you're going to supposed to watch this thing occur. And, like, the fact that, like, obviously... Uh, Taki you know, messes it up. It's like I like like that sort of stuff would be kind of interesting um, to explore. And I guess the other question is: Do you would you make this more uh, like stay as a feature, or would you want to do like kind of what's been happening a lot recently, which is like the mini series, the limited? I, series? I think you could do this as a feature. I could, I think you could still do this as a two hour movie. Yeah. I don't think I worry would... that if you did it as a feature, it would slow everything down too much. Oh, no, not, sorry, not as a Speed up? I don't know. I mean, listen, I've seen so many Netflix and miniseries lately that have just been way too long. I mean, I understand, obviously, you can do interesting things with subplots and stuff, but I think the story works perfectly as a feature, just in my opinion, at least. I think this story, like, it totally makes sense to be a feature, but I think for this idea of a North American adaptation, and if you were going to be like diversifying the identities of the two like protagonists then i feel like Mm. that time in a series that it offers for character development i think this story has a lot of legs for that and like that could be really cool that's that's true definitely a lot of legs for that so yeah i mean it's funny because i (laughs) we started this podcast off with me thinking oh a north american adaptation would be terrible and uh now 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 my character has been developed to me being like oh i actually kind of want to see this so yeah, let, let's hope the right people, uh, let's hope the right person, Lee Isaac Chung, still stays on board or, or if, you know, he gets his Oscar and he, God forbid, moves on to make a fucking Marvel movie. <laughs> uh, like, I mean, well, Chloe Zhao doesn't have her Oscar yet, but she's got the Eternals, but I uh, don't know. I don't want to go on my anti-Marvel rant because I like this stuff. We were talking about this last episode, but, but sometimes it's kind of a bummer when, when a director comes out with something big and they're just like, okay. Marvel money time, and uh, they're never to be seen making a normal film again. Yeah. <laughs> quote, unquote, yeah. you know what I mean, quote, unquote, normal. Yeah, it's true. It's that you look at John Watts. He's the Spider-Man director. He directed a couple of really interesting smaller films, and now he just seems to be like a Marvel guy. He's doing Fantastic Four. He's he, now even James three. Gunn, man. Even James Gunn, as much as I love him and I'm excited for The Suicide Squad, it sounds like his plate is just him just being offered, you know, Marvel and DC movies. And I'm like, oh. Same with Takia. Yeah. Taika Waititi. I, th- I mean, at least Taika Waititi, I feel, still has a regular, a traditional film in him. But James Gunn, as much mm. as I love him, and once again, I'm making myself unemployable <laughs> by just being like, oh, I'm just kind of bummed where that's going. Um, we'll see, though. We'll see. So um, 
let's get to our favorite segment. Uh, who is the speed wagon of this movie? Speed wagon, 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 speed wagon. Allow me to elucidate ya. The name is Robert E.O. Speedwagon. So for those who don't know, uh, Sinead, uh, have you listened to an episode of this podcast before? I'm putting you on the spot once again. I have, but give oh me my God, a you have? speedwagon. Oh, I, I'm always surprised <laughs> when people have listened, even guess. I'm like, <laughs> I'm just like, wait, you actually listened to this? Your oh, voice changed. <laughs> oh. I was not expecting that. <laughs> um... Cool. So that's awesome. Um, so yeah, we'll give you some time. Um, I have a speed wagon, so so I'll go for it first. Um, it's the little sister. I think she's just awesome. She's so fun. She's so funny. Um, she's not the annoying little sister. She just got some really good, um, you know, lines in this film. The, the, her her absorbing her observing um, Taki as uh, Mitsua grabbing the boobs. It's just like a funny recurring joke. And and what can I say? I'm a sucker for that that type of humor. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm I think I'm on the same boat with you. Like, I think for my Speedwagon, my favorite kind of smaller character in this film, it's got to be the the little sister. I think she just like you know she just she's just a really fun character. Like I said earlier, I love the like the spunky, smart, like you know younger sister who's you know a literal child, like in these kind of like young adult teen like kind of projects. So yeah, she was great. I would love to have known what she's up to now in 2021. Oh, she's by the way, this is this film also takes place in 2021. That's like the very Uh final part of this movie takes place in 2021. Um, so, so the English voice actress for, for the little sister, the little sister's character name is Yatsua. Um, she was voiced by Katie Harvey and guess what? Um, she's also in weathering with you and she, she's done a couple other anime films. Um, I don't know so, what weathering with you is. Oh, it's it's uh, Shinkai's follow up. So they brought uh, her back. That's that's neat. Oh, perfect. And what about you, Sinead? Who was your favorite? Uh... Definitely, definitely the younger sister. I hate to be unanimous, but you know what? I I agree. Like she's just so fun, guys, so charming. Guys, spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Um, the little sister appears in Weathering with You. Oh my god, that is awesome. <laughs> Oh, so now I'm oh. now I'm definitely watching Weathering with you uh, before our next podcast. That's great. I Very mean, that's cool. I like that the the kind of it continues and she's got more story in her and that like these characters kind of live on in different properties. That's really cool. Anyways, just because uh, do, do we, we all have final thoughts on this. I think uh, it sounds like everyone really loved this. Like it feels like we're this has been a, a yeah. podcast episode where it's been a bit of a gush fest. Like we're just I'm I yeah I'm definitely. I thought this was fantastic. Um, this is the stuff I like watching. I'm, I either like really good things or I like, you know, the really, really bad things. Um, you know, and I think we, we, this is just one of those films that it's like everyone should see it at some point. No, it, it's just funny because, again, you you have um, this film, Your Name and um, Spirited Away, which, you know, obviously won Miyazaki uh, the Oscar as like the at the time they were the two highest grossing films. And then the film that replaced them uh, just recently, uh, Demon Slayer, you know, we, we will cover Demon Slayer uh, eventually, but Demon Slayer is like the exact opposite of those two films. It's, it's full on um, Demon Slaying action. 
So the fact that, you know, that film is kind of t- taken over the record for, for highest grossing anime film is kind of a bummer. Um, I'm sure the movie will be good. I have not seen it since uh, due, due to the whole pandemic. Uh, it is not released uh, in North America. But it is interesting that, again, like on the Japanese box office, these two really thoughtful films were able to, to be so successful. Well, like this was such an amazing film. It doesn't surprise me that it was such a such a theatrical success, but it's it's nice to like like I said, like I don't watch anime and not because I think that it's not good, but just because it's not usually something I gravitate towards on the superficial level, you know, when you're just clicking mm-hmm. on what to watch. So, um that it, it's nice to kind of watch stuff like this to to be learning about different styles of film and kind of like have a little introduction that's so phenomenal to some recent anime and like it definitely piques my interest for sure definitely i mean i think i you know i think i'm in a very similar boat to you Sinead, where before doing this podcast i wouldn't have sorry um before doing this podcast i wouldn't have uh, I wouldn't have even like considered watching this. Like this just was like outside of my realm of like, you know, content that I consume, like media that I consume, entertainment that I consume. Uh, but it's been really nice to, at least for me personally, kind of been opened up to like, oh, like, you know, I'm missing out on some pretty great stories. And like, just because they're told in ways that maybe I'm not, you know, naturally gravitated towards, or like, I don't have the history or the bond with, it still means like I should, you know, getting out of my comfort zone that way has opened me up to, you know, to experiencing some stuff that if it wasn't for this, I wouldn't have experienced. I I was going to say, I think that like a genre, if you're, or not a genre or a genre or a style of film, if you're unfamiliar with it and there's so much work within that genre or style, it almost feels daunting to start it. Like if you're not into like, action films and you're like no i don't watch action films like when they come on i I just don't watch them like and or i change a channel or i never click on them but then it's like if somebody tells you oh you need to start watching blah 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 style of action films it almost feels sort of like insurmountable because you're like where do i begin how i don't know if i'm gonna like it and but i know that i like these others like i know that i love westerns so why don't i just stick Hmm. with my westerns and i feel like anime is kind of like that where it's like it's a whole like huge diverse area of of yeah media yeah it's it's a medium itself i think that's the common misconception people have and it's one anytime i'm pitching my pitching the podcast to people i'm like you know it's 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 not a genre it's a medium and when you Mm -hmm. say you don't like anime it's like saying you don't like movies because of the avengers films that's how i see it it's like oh yeah well yeah okay the avengers films they're they're dumb and they're they're their pentagon and propaganda and and all that uh no i like these things <laughs> but um you know what i mean it's like it's a diverse thing so again on this podcast we talk about dragon ball z but we talk about thoughtful stuff like this or fun stuff like lupon it's a whole vast uh medium and you know yeah. imagine you imagine you've never seen a movie before and you're just like oh my god i can just watch all the good stuff for like years and that's kind of how anime is for me and malcolm right now Although we still like covering the, covering the weird shit just to fuck with Malcolm, there's definitely some choices. Yeah, I, I try to balance it out. I feel like we've had we had three good ones in a row. We had Mass Effect, that was bad, and then um, we had Lupin in this. So we're on we're on the good train right now. Um, and speaking of good train, I guess we could um, talk about our next 
it's not a show. Uh, we're doing another movie. We're going to cover Perfect Blue, um, which is Satoshi Kon, uh, one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. Uh, I don't just mean that in terms of anime. I mean that as a filmmaker. Um, yeah, we are covering his debut feature, Perfect Blue. Uh, and that's going to be <laughs> very different in tone from this movie. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, any more thoughts on, on your name, guys? Uh, I loved it. I'm just, I, yeah. yeah, I think it was great. It's very much worth the time to sit down and watch a feature when it's so good like that. And it makes you kind of feel like, oh, God, like I should have watched something like this sooner. Like, or I should be more open. Or Yeah. And uh, one of his other films is on uh, Canadian Netflix, at, at least at the moment, Sinead. So you can definitely check that one out. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I believe it's The Garden of Words. Yeah, it's The Garden of Words. So that's definitely one I, I think you would really enjoy. Very cool. Yeah, I'll check it out. Yeah. Now, as we wrap, uh, Sinead, uh, where can uh, people find you on social media? How can people follow you? Do you want to be followed? Um, I, I um, worded that poorly. I I, that poorly. I, <laughs> we, we always word it poorly because it's fun to word it poorly, though. It's, yeah, it's no, I don't know if there's a good way to say something like that. I know what you mean. Um, yeah, like, I mean, if people are, if people want to see my family, they can follow me on my Instagram, which is just my name, Sinead Grucock. But um, I have my own film company, which is a small independent company that we run here in Vancouver and other parts of BC called Odd House Films. That's kind of a cool place to see some fun art projects going into like comedy as well as documentary film. So So what kind of projects do you have in the works or like can anyone see anything you've released so far? Yeah, if they go, um, if they go on to the Instagram, I always find that that's an easy kind of hub to kind of link to our website or to our YouTube channel or to other things like that to see some documentaries that we've made. We're going to be releasing some short films later this year and we're shooting a comedy later on this year which is like my sweet babies called bike pals so i'm very excited about that it's going to be very funny i've uh i've heard uh many good things about it and i was in the original <laughs> pilot for it oh yeah uh, hopefully you'll be in the short film as well oh i'm definitely I'll excited I'll for snap. whatever you want me to be in it for yeah. anyways um yeah you- follow Follow me, follow me, Jack Metcalf, uh, the, the very insi- the very insecure person who's just having constant meltdowns on uh, at Jack is Jack on Instagram and at Only Real Jack M on Twitter, where I get into fights with people. Um, thankfully, I'm on the right side of the fights. It's just me telling conservatives they're wrong or um, telling people that I really like Pokemon and other video games. It's 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 a good blend of cat jokes and me just uh, raging against billionaires. Welcome. Yeah, and, and you can uh, you can find me on Instagram at Malcolm R J McLeod. Um, that's kind of what I, I'm mostly on. I don't post super often, but I do have stories. Um, Instagram stories. Malcolm so, Malcolm will not even help me in my Twitter fights. I'll I'll send Malcolm my Twitter fights, and he just he just will barely even respond. Sometimes he responds, but he'll never join in. And uh, I don't really use Twitter. I'm not I'm not active on Twitter. I got off that hell platform. Um, I, lo- I love it so much. I love it. When I'm at work, I'm just like b- bored. I'm like, I'm going to get into Twitter fight over someone's movie takes. I got no shame. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, if you get a chance, uh, please uh, like uh, and review the podcast. Uh, that's a bi- the best way for us to grow the podcast, produce more episodes. Uh, it really, We really appreciate any feedback. Share the podcast. Uh, we're on all uh, streaming platforms. So whether you're listening to this on Spotify Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or whatever other podcast platform you're listening to this on. 
yeah, the just word of mouth really helps us out. Yeah. So if you get and, a uh, chance, please tell your and friends. And you follow us, and you follow us on uh, at on, at uh, is this anime pod on Twitter and Insta. Although unlike unlike me, our uh, Twitter isn't super active. It's mostly just reposts of our Insta stuff. So comment on our Instagram posts. Uh, I work very hard on those. I'm trying to post funny memes uh, and our audiograms. Answer answer everything. It's really cool. Like we're we're trying to really cultivate an awesome community. And also uh, thank you to Sasha Husband who. Who not in the present time has has been signed on officially as our editor, but he will be because now I have too much work to do in my in my own personal life. So thank you, Sasha. No problem. We'll cut that out. Uh, <laughs> Sasha, cut that out. No. Uh, anyways, thank you, Sasha. Uh, thank you, Sasha. Anyways, until next time, uh, remember, cof- uh, coffee boss is the boss of coffee. <laughs> Bye. Hey.